2021, yeah! <laughs> Wee! I don't know, it doesn't seem like that much has changed yet, but I mean, maybe. It was only day three where we got some time. Um, or is it the third? Yeah, the third. Uh, so my buddy Mike and I, we, uh, we do our sermon writing together. Um, we try to come up with different things to do. And we do really pride ourselves on 100% um, never-before-used content by anyone ever. But we, uh, we really thought that the basis for this series, uh, Guardrails, um, it, it actually comes from a different church. They did it, um, I think, 10 years ago and then again, like, 7 years ago. And it just was a, a super effective, really popular uh, entrance into thinking about life in a post-Christian world. Um, so we've borrowed the idea from them, um, but we're going to, the, the content is, is generated uh, mostly between us. So, so don't think that you're getting the, uh, the prepackaged, you can buy this, by the way. You can spend like $500 and buy a sermon. It's cool. Uh, but we're not doing that. We're, but, but we are doing uh, guardrails. We thought it was especially uh, appropriate for our congregation because guardrails, uh, as you know, we have someone in our congregation who's responsible for the production of guardrails. Um, I'd like to share with you a couple of uh, Jack Colt's traffics devices, some of the, some of the, the big winners uh, from the past. This is the Century Longitudinal en- Energy Dissipator. Yeah, the SLED. Uh, that, that's a really cool acronym. What it means is those things are filled with water, and if you run into them, it'll slow you down without killing you. So you don't, you don't run into the, the concrete barrier. They, uh, they've got better ones now, the, the scorpion and the attenuator, but those were confusing to look at, so I didn't take those pictures. Uh, they also, the classics, they got the classics, um, just, you know, your standard guardrail, just to keep you in the right direction, traffics devices, uh, wants you to make, wants to make sure that you're safe, um, as you're driving around. And the, the point of a guardrail, as you can just see from the picture and just know from our personal experience, is, it, you know, it's got to be bright, it's got to, you want to see it, and it's going to keep you in the safe zone, right? Uh, you, you're, there's, there's danger out there on the road, especially, um, you know, we've been going through uh, construction on our freeways for about uh, 15 years now, um, thanks to the, uh, the, <laughs> the Stimulus Act of like 2008 or 9, um, and, and that construction never ends, and it's very dangerous, uh, and so you need to have guardrails so that you don't, you know, so you know where to be and where not to be. Now, interestingly, this idea of, of uh, a way of life that is, that is designed to uh, prevent reckless driving, there's also a way that we prevent reckless living. Okay? So reckless driving, we know, uh, ends with, with bad things, explosions and crashes and all of that. Reckless living does something similar. And, interestingly, the Bible has very consistently, the Bible actually is the originator of the idea of not, of safe, defensive living. Instead of defensive driving, defensive living. Of not reckless living, but defensive, safe living. And it actually, it begins in Genesis 39. Genesis 39 is the very first time in human history, as far as I know, that uh, guardrails become a way of doing life. And so we're going to go through this uh, story. If you are familiar with the Bible, you may know the story of uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Uh, if not, that's awesome. I'd love, it's, a, it's a fun story. It's a good way to, to introduce um, this series. And, and, it, and I think it, it kind of gives the contours of what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks as we think about life that's, um, that's, uh, that's protecting what God wants for us as a community and for, for us as individuals. And so let me start here. So Potiphar handed over everything he had to Joseph, 
and didn't pay attention to anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. A couple things in the background here. Potiphar and Joseph, who these guys are. Potiphar is uh, the chief officer or uh, a chief administrator for the pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph is, uh, he was a, a Hebrew son, and he was like the 11th or 12th son of, of 12, 10th or 11th, something like that. And uh, his brothers hated him. And as, uh, there were 12 brothers, and they hated Joseph the most, and, and as responsible um, brothers do, when they don't like a sibling, they tried to kill him. And, uh, and then they were like, ah, oh, maybe we shouldn't kill him, let's just be nice, let's just send him into slavery. And so that's what they did. They got rid of him. Uh, Parker, I think that you may be in danger of this. You're not very popular so in your family, so you need to work hard, buddy. I don't want, I don't want you know, you to end up... Bad things can happen, man. Be careful. Uh, anyway, so he got sold into slavery. Life is a disaster. Um, and then he gets noticed. He gets purchased by this guy, Potiphar. And Potiphar uh, quickly notices that Joseph is a really solid stand-up guy. He's credible. He's got integrity. He's a hard worker. And so he gets promoted and promoted and promoted to the point that Potiphar just checks out and says, you be the chief you know, administrator, attendant of, of, of the pharaoh. I, all I want to do is think about my next meal. And, and that's, that's where he gets. So, the, so Potiphar hands over everything to Joseph, makes Joseph a very well-respected, you know, uh, in the ancient world, if you were a slave, you, you carried your master's weight if your master gave that to you. And so in this case, he would have been kind of like Potiphar to anyone who met him. So he had power, he had stuff, perks. He went from being in a ditch, about to die, to being sold into slavery, to now being at the top of his game. And if you want to know how he looked... Uh, just imagine me. And, and that's pretty much Joseph. Well built and handsome. Now, <laughs> whoa, be careful. This shirt can come off. <laughs> so, so, so where is Joseph in life? Joseph is where we all kind of want to be in life, right? In America, that's, um, the house with the white picket fence and a golden retriever. That waits for you to come home every day. And when you open the door, like, says, you are clearly the greatest human being who ever lived. I'm glad you're mine. And you have one to three children, depending on where you land on that, you know, spectrum. And, you know, everything's, that's kind of like the, the sort of stereotypical American dream, right? And all of us have different dreams. All of us, some, some of us, you know, you, you maybe you were, um, maybe you, you grew up in like a blue collar kind of uh, background and you wanted to make something of yourself and never have to worry about money again, right? That's something that people do. And so you imagine your dream for yourself is to be in a place where money is not an issue. Or uh, maybe you, you dreamed as a, as a, as a uh, you know, as every little boy does of his beautiful wedding with his gorgeous bride. And that was like what motivated you. And you were thinking about, I'm just kidding, obviously. Well, some guys. I didn't, but some guys. Uh, you're, or you're, you're a little girl and you dream of a beautiful wedding and a life with a, a, a partner that loves you, um, and, and that's your thing. Or maybe, maybe uh, even more so, maybe you think in terms more of like what God has for you, mission, the kind of things that God wants you to accomplish in your life, the, the, the life that, that if you lived it, you would be participating in God's work in the world. And so you dream of how you might have had an impact on orphans in, in wherever, or, or you may, maybe you're convinced that it's been your calling to, to fight against uh, the death of the unborn, something like that. And you have these dreams. You have all these dreams. Well, Joseph is the kind of guy, he had those too, and he believed that he was a part of God's mission, and he had it. He had it. 
You know what no one dreams about? Growing up to be a heroin addict. No one dreams. Maybe someday I'll get to go through a really horrible divorce. I'll get to cheat on my spouse and wreck my family. No one imagines someday I'm going to end up on the streets begging. No one plans to make a wreck of their lives. But do you have a plan not to? Nobody plans for their kids to grow up to hate them. Nobody plans for their kids to grow up and, 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 and fall apart. But do you have a plan in place to stop that from happening? Do you have a plan in place to see that you become who God's called you to be? That you be a part of the mission that God has in the world? That it, is that plan there? Look at Joseph. So back to Joseph. Sometime later, Joseph's master's wife became attracted to Joseph and said, sleep with me. He refused and said to his master's wife, with me here, my master doesn't pay attention to anything in his household. He's put everything he has under my supervision. No one's greater than I am in his household. And he hasn't denied me anything, darling, except you, since you're his wife. How could I do this terrible thing and sin against Potiphar? No. And sin against God. It's very interesting, right? That, 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 I mean, what, Joseph, Joseph his, his, his worldview, his mindset is a little bit different than we might expect, right? We, we, could, we could imagine being like, well, I, I just don't want to ruin what I've got for myself, right? I mean, isn't that how that sentence should, should end, that paragraph? It should be like, he's given me everything. All he's kept from me is you. And, and, and gosh, I don't want to lose it all. He's probably thinking that. That's probably in the back of his head. I mean, he's, he's been a slave. He knows how good he's got it. But his primary concern is, he's like, how could I do this terrible thing and sin against God? If I do this, if I go with you and I, you know, and we do that, you know, and, we, and, and, and he finds out, really what, what, what I've done is I have ruined something. I've sinned against God. I have ruined something that God is doing. Joseph, when he was a younger man, had dreams, he had visions from God, and he believed God had some very serious, important things for him to do. He believed that God had a plan for his life, that God was going to work through him to do things that mattered. And he's like, if I do this, I, could, I run the risk of wrecking that. So guardrails, they, they minimize damage. They protect us as we're living, we're going through life and things come at us. Uh, I think they got a picture here of the, the, the car. Whew. Uh, the, the idea of a guardrail is it's like, hey, you've got to have a plan in place so that when the things that, of life that could derail, that could wreck, that could... These are traffic devices, by the way. Are they, Jack? We need more. Dump them on us, man. 
Like, think, think of all the cool stuff we could have on the stage. We could put one of your attenuators. Like, it's only, it's, it's only like a $50,000, you know, piece of equipment. I'll get a discount. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. That's great. Uh, guardrails are there so that when, when these things in life come at us, right, that they, they, they minimize what damage is going to happen. Because we're, we're, we're in the safe zone. We start to veer off to the side. The guardrail catches us and like, and like, and like brings us back. Like that's what a good guardrail does. Keeps us from falling off that cliff. And Joseph's right at the cliff. If he goes with this girl, he's gonna lose everything. And worst of all, in his mind, he's gonna lose what God has for him in his future. Maybe his present. And so we say, uh, yeah, the next thing, next slide. Reckless living not only endangers us and the ones we love, it endangers the ministry. God has given us. You may not know what God's called you to do yet. You may be confused about it. But man, if you, if you start reckless living and reckless driving and you go over and you, and you don't have rails in place to protect you, not only are you in danger, not only are the ones you love in danger, but the thing that God has for us to do is in danger. And so you've got to have a plan. And that's, and that's really what guardrails are. Guardrails are a plan for how to avoid a situation. And so look at Joseph. Joseph has a plan. Every single day she tried to convince him, but he would not agree to sleep with her or even to be with her. One day when Joseph arrived at the house to do his work, none of the household's men were there. She grabbed his garment saying, lie down with me. But he left his garment in, his, in her hands and ran outside. It's difficult to know, I mean, you know, it's hard to know if, if Joseph is attracted to her or not. It doesn't say that he is or isn't. Um, <clears throat> but you can imagine uh, that he might be. And he imagine if he just, you know, if he's like, he decides, oh, well, why don't we just hang out? Let's just talk. Would you, would you like some tea? Let's just hang out. No, no, I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about you. I want to hear about your life. You know, telling me who you are. Let's get to be friends. Let's just be friends. That probably isn't going to work. It might. Integrity. And one of the things he said, he says, I'm never alone with any woman except for my wife, Ruth. He had the Joseph guardrail. He said, I'm going to do that. That's, that's just, that's our plan to make sure. You know what? Do I think that I would ever, but, but why risk it? Why put myself in a position where something like that could happen? Mike Pence, uh, the vice president of the United States, he does this as well. You may recall that he has been roundly mocked for this. Um, he's been, people have made fun of Mike Pence because, uh, you know, he, this is 2020, oh, 2021, right? But you're a modern man. It's sexist. If you won't be alone with women that aren't your wife, how dare you? You failure. Don't you have self-control? What about all the women that aren't going to get promoted because uh, they don't, they're not allowed to be alone with you for mentoring sessions, etc., etc.? It's funny. Harvard Business Review did a <laughs> they did a study on this uh, to find out if, in fact, Mike Pence was making good decisions. And uh, they found that, um, this may come as a shock to you, men um, 
are their uh, brain structures, the, 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 neuro the neurons in our brains, um, are highly motivated by uh, having power over women. This is a very erotic thing for men. And also, um, and also physical attraction. <laughs> I know, groundbreaking. Who would have thought? And they, and they found out that when men are in a positions of power over women to whom they are physically attracted... <laughs> they're going to get married. They're going to, it's, it's going to happen. In fact, the only way that it doesn't happen is if you have a guy who's extremely, they say this, uh, um, extraordinarily self-aware and in complete self-mastery. <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> Sign me up for that. Uh, so I think what they're saying is probably like one in like a million men can do this. But the rest of us, the rest of us, um, could be in danger. And, and maybe Mike Pence and maybe Billy Graham aren't that dumb. Maybe they recognize that what God has for them in their lives, the goals that God has put before them, the work that God has asked them to do, could be really, really derailed if they start going in the wrong direction. Next slide. Guardrails minimize damage. They keep us out of the danger zone. They don't, however, solve everything. We uh, go back to Joseph. When she realized that he had left his garment in her hands and run outside, she summoned the men of her house and said to them, Look, my husband brought us a Hebrew to ridicule us. He came to me to lie down with me, but I screamed. When he heard me raise my voice and scream, he left his garment with me and ran outside. She's clever. We looked at this uh, a couple years, actually, ago, um, this text. One of the things that's interesting here is uh, she has to summon the men of her house. Because remember, it's, it tells us that they're not in the room where he's doing the work. So she summons them. How do you suppose that that happened? Legitimate question. How did she get them? Well, she either had one of her servants outside the room, or she yelled for them. Hey, guys, get over here. <clears throat> he came to get me, but I screamed. And they're like, what? did you, though? <laughs> I mean, the household is, you know, it's big, but it's not that big. Well, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't hear a scream. Huh. But then when you yelled for us to come join you, I heard that. Maybe it was like a soft scream. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, um, everybody knows what she's up to. In fact, even her husband does. And, and one of the reasons probably that Joseph isn't executed is because probably her husband recognizes what was going on. And the other thing that's happening is that even though um, Joseph ends up getting fired and sent back to, uh, to, to prison, uh, which, so his guardrail didn't prevent all damage, prevented some damage, um, he didn't get executed. But also, one other thing that happened is that his, his integrity remained intact. Right? The people know, all the people in the household know Potiphar's wife is, uh, she's, she's bad news. And they all know that Joseph's a good guy. 
They know that he stuck to his guns. They've seen this over and over of him running away, of making sure that he's, you know, he's, he's got his rules in place and he sticks with them. And they know that. And eventually that's gonna, that, that integrity that he's building up, that ability for him to remain above suspicion, that, 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 uh, reputation that he has is going to serve him well in the rest of his life. He doesn't know it yet how it's all gonna work out. But he believes if I stick to my guns, I keep my guardrails in place, I will not be endangering what God has for me. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't. Even when his life goes up and down and up and down, he still ends up doing what God called him to do. That doesn't mean, though, just because you're in the guardrails doesn't mean someone's not going to T-bone you. I've got that picture. Right? You might be in your guardrails, someone else might be a reckless living, and they, bam, smash your, smash your life. They might smash into your life. But if you've got your guardrails up, it minimizes that damage. And it allows you to get back on the path and end up where you're supposed to be. That's the next slide. It's not going to prevent every accident. But guardrails are going to direct and protect us so we can end up where we're supposed to be. Where God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. And so that's what, the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at some very specific things. I mean, we, we use the example of, 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 uh, of sex today. There's a lot of other things in life uh, where we need to set up guardrails. And I think the, the, the thing for us to do and be praying about this week, um, whether you're here online, is to think about where might you're driving, where might we be in danger? I, uh, I, I lived in the snow for a couple of years. Um, and I grew up in Southern California. I grew up here in Mission Viejo. Um, not exactly what you'd call a winter driver. And so I remember when I, uh, when I first, my first winter, it was, you know, it's like four months out of the year, there's snow on the ground. And I remember, like, getting into the car and, like, being afraid to, like, even step on the gas. Because my dad had told me he'd like gone to college in Colorado or something. And he'd talked about doing donuts in parking lots on ice. You know, and it sounded really cool, but also sounded kind of scary. And so I remember, like, the very first time I was, you know, pulling out of my driveway. And there's a bunch of snow over. I was, like, I just creeping. Like, just barely moving the car. And over, and I, I would go places like that. You know, people would be behind me. and they met. But I, eventually I started to be like, you know what, I got this. I'm like, okay. I can go 15, 20 kilometers per hour. And those are less than miles per hour, right? So like 30 kilometers an hour is probably like 20 miles an hour-ish. Does anyone know metric? Come on. No Europeans here? There it is. 100 kilometers, 62 and a half miles an hour. All right. So that's the, you know, about, so about... Two-thirds, something like that. So I, but I was creeping. I was 20, 30 kilometers an hour. I started getting up to the 40s, the 50s, and I started to get confident because I was like, hey, I have these snow tires. They grab on, like I'm not sliding all over the place. Um, and, and so finally I was like, you know what? I think, I think this whole like d- snow is dangerous drive, I think that's kind of a bunch of, kind of a bunch of nonsense. If you've got the good tires, you're probably fine. So I was actually, I was driving to church. It was about a 40-minute drive from where I lived. And uh, single-lane highway both ways. And I was like, well, let's just see what this thing can do. I'd gotten a uh, kind of a sort of a sporty car. And I just, you know, 
I just want to have fun with it. So I started getting going, and, and the and you know it was a relatively straight path uh, there, and kind of on the highway and moving and moving. And I was getting up there, getting up there, and I was you know just checking like to make sure I'm still you know uh, grabbing the, the the ground, you know just kind of moving in and out a little bit, just make sure I had traction. And finally, I was like, man, this is not a big deal. And so I really, I started to go for it. And, uh, and at that point, um, the church was coming up. It was going to be on my left. And uh, I, there was a curve to get into um, the church uh, parking lot. So I had to navigate one, one turn. And it wasn't even that bad. But I started to, to turn, and I felt it. I felt the, um, I think it was the back of the car started to give way. And my understanding is that uh, the most important thing to do when you're driving in the snow is to continue to have some. You, you don't take you don't you don't take off the gas. You just like ease off a little bit, and you keep driving. What I did was I slammed on the, the brake and turned like that, and it was a really effective move to to cause the car to spin across into the other lane. Uh, I, I probably went around maybe once and a half times. Um, all I know is that I was like I was like. <laughs> Really, man? The car stops. No way. God is truly merciful. Nobody saw. Nobody was there. Nobody saw. So I just kind of like, beep, 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 beep. made it there in the parking lot, didn't say a word to anyone. Like, oh yeah, no big deal. There's probably a place in all of our lives where, you know, we're starting to just hit the accelerator just a little bit, just to drive a little faster, just to get a little closer to the side of the road, just to, because it looks like it's fun, you know, Tokyo Drift, what they do, that looks cool. Like maybe I could just, maybe, you know, maybe you're just, you're just drinking a little bit too much, you know? Just not, not, it's not out of control, it's just maybe, you know? Maybe spend a little bit too much time in the office. Maybe spending a little bit too much time with him or her. Maybe not spending any time, you know, with the kids. But they still still respect you. Where are the places in your life where you're starting to get in danger of sliding out? Where are some places where you might need some guardrails? Are you on the edge? Are you flirting with disaster? Where might you need some guardrails? I want you to think about that this week. Um, and, and then when we come back next week, we're going to start, uh, we're going to start hitting uh, some really, um, some, some places in scripture where we get to see some really solid ways of living that keep us safe and, and keep us from endangering the work that God has for us to do. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you uh, put in place um, principles and, and ideals that we can employ in our own lives to, to set up guardrails, to keep us from getting out of control, to minimize uh, the damage we do to ourselves and to others and to the work you have for us to do in the world. We thank you, God, especially for the image of Christ and the life that he lived, a life that was um, perfect, a life uh, that fully in. in encapsulated all of who you are, 
a life that was, was done right. We pray, God, over the next few weeks that we'll get to, to see that, to see your ways of living, your wise, safe ways of living, that we might become the people that you called us to be, and that we might be able to do the good works that you have gone and prepared beforehand for us to do. Lord, may we not be a people of reckless living. but instead be a people who live the way you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.